The scripture reading today comes from James chapter 3, verses 2 through 18. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the very likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who also make peace. What a contrast between what is true of Christ and what is true of us. God, you are incredible. The things that we've sung about you this morning are true words. They're words that are, are rooted in what the Bible reveals about who you are and what you've done in Jesus. The story about Jesus is, is amazing. He, he's incredible. 
We could have never come up with such a good story. The incredible thing is it's true. And it's for us. It's, it's rooted in, in your grace toward us and your love for us. And then we see the truth about ourselves in a passage like James 3, the restless evil of our tongues. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word so that we may gain your wisdom, not human wisdom, not the foolishness of what we think in our own minds. Get us out of our own minds and help us to see what your word actually says, that we may become wise people who live under your rule. Shape us this morning by the words of Proverbs. Help us to become wise people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we start this morning with the least true American proverb. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We, we teach this to our, our kids. It's a little mantra for them. We teach this to them because we know that, that words are really painful. We want to try to give them something to equip them to be able to handle the insults that are going to come their way because we know that, that kids can be really cruel. They say really mean things. There's name-calling. There's jabs back and forth. And we want to, want to do something to be able to give our kids something to hang on to. So we teach them this little thing. Say this and, and you'll try to feel better maybe. maybe. Maybe this is something you can hang on to. But the truth is that kids can be extremely cruel to one another. They've not yet learned the power of their words. They don't yet have the skills of empathy to be able to put themselves in the position of the other person and, and understand what it would feel like to be called these names. But the truth is that, that that little phrase, that little proverb, it's not true. Words hurt deeply. They hurt most of all. Broken bones will heal and, and cuts and scrapes and bruises. Those will heal over time, but, but words can poison your mind and poison what you think of yourself. They can get into your heart. They can infect your soul. And so shows this uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic where, where Susie has been uh, insulted by Calvin. And, of course, they've got this back-and-forth kind of relationships. Uh, so she's been insulted, and she's going to bolster herself with this, this classic American proverb. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. She's satisfied. She's confident. And she smiles as she walks on her way. But it doesn't take more than a frame for her to realize that it's not true. And so she hangs her head and says, yeah, right. The case of a young woman named Megan Meyer shows just how destructive and how powerful words can really be. She was lured into a fake online friendship by the vindictive uh, mother of a friend who, with whom she had had a falling out. And now Megan had had a mental illness from a young age. She'd suffered from de depression since uh, early elementary school. But, but this new friendship that she had found online seemed to be something that kind of bolstered her and, and gave her a little bit more of a, of a bright outlook on life until one day the message is starting to turn negative. And so accusations started mounting from this uh, fake online friend, culminating in one final message. Edited, You are a bad person and everybody hates you. The world would be a better place without you. Within 20 minutes she took her own life. God have mercy on our world. Now it's too simple, of course, to say that, that these words 
caused this young woman to end her life before she was even 14 years old. But, but the connection is strong. There is mental illness involved, and, and there are things there that, that had to be dealt with. But at the same time, they show the power of the words that we use toward others. We can use words that might give a little piece of healing, a little word of hope to someone who's in the middle of darkness, who's suffering, or they can be words that attack and destroy and take away that last little shred of hope. Now, before we move on, I, I know that some of us here do struggle with depression. Some of us do struggle with suicidal thinking. And, and on the other hand, some of us feel guilty over words that we have used to hurt others. And, and before we move on, we have to stop and say, listen, for those of you who are struggling with, with darkness and with depression, you need to know this, that God loves you more than you could have ever dreamed possible. He has made you in his own image. You are made in the image of God. You are of so much value, so much worth to God. He loves you so much. He has such value for you that he sent his own precious son to suffer and to die, to rescue you, to bring you back to himself. That's how much God cares for you. That's how valuable you are. And for those who feel guilt over words that you've used that you can't take back, God loves you too. Jesus died to cover those words that you used. Yeah, you hurt people. He died knowing that you would hurt people. He died to, to cover over that darkness that you've caused others. He died to give you forgiveness for all of it so that when he looks at you, he doesn't see you and the nasty words you use to hurt other people. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ one on your behalf because of the cross. So we start with hope. <laughs> we start with this message that, that however dark the world seems, however powerful and destructive words can be, there is hope. So this is ultimately going to be a message of hope. Don't, don't get lost in despair here. But we do have to start off with a sobering reality. And that's that the things that we say matter. The words that come out of our mouth are, are powerful. They can either direct people toward life or they can direct people toward death. This is how the book of Proverbs puts it, Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is an urgent reminder of the truth that you've probably felt in your own life. Words matter. They can hurt and they can heal. Words are powerful things. So, so how do we learn to use words well? How can we live as God's people, using words, using our speech to reflect God's wisdom and to do good for others? Well, we're, we're continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs here as we're looking at what it means for us to live under God's wisdom in all areas of life. And today we get one of the major themes of the book of Proverbs, how we use our tongues, the way we speak and use our words uh, Proverbs has a ton to say about this. We're not going to be able to touch on everything, but we're going to look at two different dichotomies of speech the book of Proverbs presents to show the difference between wisdom and foolishness. The first dichotomy is between truth and lies. So if you haven't already turned there, uh, again, we're going to be flipping back and forth a lot in the book of Proverbs, but it's found basically right in the middle of the Bible. So if you open there, if you get to Psalms, go a little bit further toward the back, you'll get to Proverbs, uh, and you'll want to have that open. And again, we'll, we'll go back and forth quite a bit because uh, Proverbs is a collection of uh, individual wisdom sayings and little paragraphs of wisdom sayings here and there, especially 
uh, from chapter 10 to chapter 31. Uh, so we'll be jumping around back and forth a little bit. We'll have uh, most of the words up on the screen if you don't want to flip back and forth, but it is helpful to have it in front of you. So this dichotomy between truth and lies. This is what it says in, in Proverbs 12, uh, verses 19 and 20. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. And then verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So those who are wise and those who are righteous, who live by God's wisdom, are truth tellers. And on the other hand, those who are foolish, who are wicked, who are not living as God's people, tell lies. In verse 22 really is the, the verdict here. It's the bottom line. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. It's because lies don't come from God. God is truth. He is the father of truth. The father of lies is the devil, is Satan. That's what Jesus uh, says when he's talking to a group of religious leaders in, in John 8. John 8, 44 says this. He's talking to them. He says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So lies come from the devil, and truth comes from God. So the way we use our words, the kind of words that we use, shows who our true father is. If we are using words that are not true, if we are liars deceiving others, we show ourselves to be following a different father, the wrong father. We show ourselves to be following the father of lies, Satan himself. But if we use words that are true, then we are showing ourselves to be children of the true Father, the one who is truth himself. And this is because lies attempt to conceal the darkness that's inside our hearts. So we look at uh, the, the motive here in Proverbs 26. There's a, a paragraph here on, on the speech of those who are deceptive. It says this, this is Proverbs 26, beginning in verse 23, and to the end of the chapter. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. In other words, it's just a facade that's covering something dark inside. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. These people who want to do you harm, who have ill will toward you and malice in their hearts, often try to hide it in order to use their deception to hurt you. That's exactly what the, the mother of, of Megan Meyer's ex-friend did. She intentionally used deception in order to hurt this young woman, and it was successful. She ended up hurting her a great deal. I mean, think about the difference that in that situation if the truth had been told. If this mother would have gone to this young woman and said, Listen, you hurt my daughter. And if they would have been able to talk through it with truth and with grace instead of with deception and attacks, it would have been a totally different story. But, but the issue here that Proverbs 26 shows is that the heart is the, the, what's wrong. So verse 23, fervent lips, so lips that are saying good things, smooth lips, but an evil heart. Verse 24, in their hearts they're harboring 
deceit. Verse 25, seven abominations fill their hearts. So our lips can be saying one thing, our words are saying one thing, but in our hearts is what's wrong. And because of that, those who tell lies are condemned. Look at Proverbs 19.5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. So that's what we see on the one hand of the dichotomy. Those who are, are liars, who are deceitful, who are destroying others by the things that they say. On the other side of that dichotomy are those who tell the truth. So those who live by God's wisdom will tell the truth. So we can look at wisdom's call early on in the book in chapter 8. Wisdom says this, and listen to the words that are used to describe wisdom's speech. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To those discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. So this is the speech of wisdom. This is where God's wisdom plays out. It's words that are true, that are trustworthy, that are right, that are just, that are upright. This is wisdom speech. And, and when God's wisdom then shapes us, we too become truth speakers. And when that's true, the outcome for those around us is good. So look at Proverbs 14.25 for one example of the good outcome of us using truthful language. 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. Likewise, those who tell the truth bring joy and, and, and cultivate relationships. So 24.26, uh, rather memorable phrase, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It promotes joy. It promotes relationship. There's something there that's, that's good. And that's true even when the true words that we have to speak are hard to say and difficult to hear. So look at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. We looked at these uh, last time. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So speaking the truth is about saying what is needed, saying at, at, at the right time, even if it's hard to say and even if it's hard to hear. We speak truth because we know the one who is truth. That's ultimately why Christians are to be truth-tellers, to be truth-speakers. We could look at John 14, 6, and Jesus proclaims that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. There's no way to the Father but through him. So we, as those who know the one who is truth, the one who embodies truth, we become truth-tellers ourselves. The truth is also spoken of in the Bible as the content of our faith. So the truth is that God created the world good. The truth is that God loves his people. The truth is that God is holy. The truth is that we as humans have rebelled against God and, and try to live apart from him. And because of that, we deserve death. The truth is that God sent his son to rescue and to redeem us so that those who put their faith in him have life. The truth is that Jesus is coming again to bring final restoration of the world, to bring judgment and salvation to us, his people. That's the truth. So in a world of, of half-truths and, and just partial lies and partial truths and, and hidden agendas and, and outright lies, this is great relief, isn't it? To have people who are in a relationship with you who speak truth. That means that you don't have to worry about them trying to deceive you, trying to have a hidden agenda, trying to get somewhere to do you harm. That means that you can have genuine relationship with another person. 
not built on partial truths or, or partial lies, but built on actual truth. It, it, it fosters genuine friendship. It fosters genuine relationship. And in the end, it leaves us with peace before God. If you are someone who is constantly telling lies, you always have to remember, well, what is it that I said this time? You always have to be on your toes remembering the words that you said because you've got to kind of cultivate those lies. But if you are a truth teller, you can have a clear memory. You can have a clear conscience. You have peace before those around you and peace before God. So in this first dichotomy between truth and lies, we see that, that God's people who live in God's wisdom are to be those who speak truth. We speak truth because we belong to God. The second dichotomy that Proverbs presents is between blessing and curse. So in verse uh, 18, 21, when we said that, that the tongue has the power of life and death, this is really what it's getting at. Those who use their tongue to speak life to others, who promote life, that's blessing. Those who speak words that bring death, that's uh, a curse. Proverbs doesn't often use the language of blessing and curse, but that's the, the biblical concept, speaking words that promote life versus speaking words that promote death. Life is God's favor. Death is distance from God. So here's the, the heading for this section. If you look at chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is the same point we've looked at. Words can cut. They can wound. They're, they're like a sharp knife that can do great damage to you. The analogy of a sword graphically represents just how much damage our, our tongues can cause, that the words that we use can cause. But on the other hand, words can be used to heal others. They can be used to promote life and healing, to actually bless others. Or Proverbs using another analogy in chapter 15, verse 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. So on the one hand, we see this could be a great weight crushing the spirit of those to whom you use negative words. Or on the other hand, the right words can be like a tree of life. It's a great metaphor for, for vitality, for growth, for goodness, especially when we see its connection to the Garden of Eden, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden that, that flows from and gives God's good life to, to Adam and Eve as they're in the garden. And then you look at the very end of the Bible, you see Revelation 21, 22, there's a, a tree there too in this garden city of God. And this restored good creation. So when we use words that are life-giving, that are blessing, we're using words in the way that God intended us to use words, words that bless others and are in line with his good creation. Those who are wise not only speak the truth and speak words of blessing, but they know when to use those words of blessing. So look at 15.23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word? This reminds us that, that when you say the words is important too. Timing is uh, really important. There's great joy in the right word at the right time. And some of you have experienced this. Someone said just the right thing to you and it, it totally turned around your day or it changed your perspective on whatever it was that you were facing. But even the right words, even a word of blessing at the wrong time can be taken in the wrong way. So Proverbs 27, 14. My wife's favorite uh, high school proverb. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. In other words, you can be saying the right words, but if you're speaking to someone who's not a morning person and it's 5 a.m. and you're shouting a blessing at them, it's not taken as a blessing. Yes, that's the right word, but it's the wrong time. Timing is important. It also matters how you speak the truth. So look at the beginning of chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath. 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. And there are Christians who speak what is true, but they say it in such a way that the truth can't be received well. So one of my teachers in seminary had gone to a debate at a university when he was a student, and he went uh, with a non-Christian friend, someone who had not yet come to put their faith in Jesus, but they were asking about God. They are trying to figure out, what do I really believe about God? Uh, and during this debate, uh, it was pretty clear that the, the Christian just won. In terms of, of pure debate, uh, the Christian just had an answer for everything, and the, the man who was debating him, who didn't believe in God, he just was stumped a lot of the times. So the Christian was just a better debater. And he had a lot of things that, that uh, the other guy couldn't answer. But one of the things that bothered uh, my teacher was the way that this Christian went about uh, arguing. He felt like he would often attack the other man and, and treat him uh, as an inferior sort of a person. He would sort of make jokes at his expense and kind of cut him down. So my, my teacher, as they were leaving the, uh, leaving the debate, he turned to his uh, non-believing friend and, and asked him what he thought. And, and the guy said, well... Yeah, I think the guy, the guy was right. I mean, it, it, the Christian, what he said was really convincing. But if that's how Christians behave, if that's how they treat other people, I don't want any part of that. The expression we have is, it's like a bull in a china shop. See, the wise person will use gentle words rather than harsh words. They will adorn the truth rather than just kind of spouting off. So it's important... What we say, we have to be truth speakers. It's also important for us to understand when to say those things. Timing is important. It's also important how we say those things. The manner, the mode in which we uh, share things are important too. And if we're going to take all of that into consideration, we really have to weigh our words carefully. And so Proverbs instructs us in 15.28, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. But the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. It's the, it's the same expression that this gushing and gushing evil or gushing. That's what the fools do. They just, they just spout words. They're just throwing words out there. Whereas those who live under God's wisdom, they'll weigh them carefully. What are my words going to do? What are the right words in this situation for this time? And how can I say those in a winsome sort of a way? And sometimes we just have to learn to stop talking so much. So Proverbs ten nineteen. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Or chapter 17, verses 27 and 28, a pretty well-known one. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongues. In any case, we need to be people who listen well. Sometimes we have to stop talking, but in any case, we have to make sure that we're hearing well before we speak more. So 18, 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And yet how many of us have caught ourselves in that? We we're formulating an answer or response before the person is even done saying what they're saying. We think we know what they're going to say, and so we've already formulated the response in our mind. We spout that off, not really taking in what the other person has said. I, caught myself, I catch myself with this all the time, and I hate it because I, I'm seeing, yeah, you're not actually engaging the other person. We have to stop and to listen well, to hear what they're saying to digest it, and then to weigh our words before we respond to them. So if we are quick to speak and slow to listen, we're actually the inverse of what we're supposed to be doing. So Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for, than for them. We need to make sure we're, we're listening to actually 
hear the other person, not just waiting for our turn to speak, but actually hearing what's in the heart of this other person, hearing what they really have to say so that we can develop a genuine relationship with them and so that we can speak words that are true at the right time in the right way to them. This is true in everyday conversations, but it's especially true when it comes to listening to wisdom. So Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. So if we, have to, if we want to learn how to speak well, speak wisely, first we have to start by learning to listen well and to listen wisely. So as we, as we look at this difference between blessing and cursing, we see that we have to use the, the right words at the right time in the right way in order to display wisdom and to speak words of life. But the common thread in all of these, as we think about what it means to use our words to bless others, is that all of them are about being directed toward the good of the other person. It's about having them in mind. So we speak truth. This is what Proverbs is saying. We speak truth because we are God's people and he is the truth. And we speak truth in order to promote life, in order to bless others because God has called us as his people to be a blessing wherever we are. Now, it would be really easy to turn this into a moralistic kind of a message, right? And actually, a lot of the book of Proverbs, we could turn into a moralistic kind of message. So we're just saying, don't lie, tell the truth. Don't use words that cut down, use words that bless and promote life. And that is the right application, but we have to go deeper because that's just that can be a very surface level of thing. And we have to see what's going on that makes those words come out either as truth or lies, that makes them come out either as blessing or cursing. Because here's the thing, what if you don't care about what your words do to another person? Or, or what if you're trying really hard to say words that are the right words at the right time, but, but you just can't find yourself doing it? You're just not quite right. Well, we see the diagnosis of the problem even in the book of Proverbs. So we, we see Proverbs 26, 24. We looked at that. It was saying, the issue is the hearts. Though their speech is charming, don't believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. The wrong kind of speech, the kind of speech that cuts others down and is deceptive, that kind of speech comes from a heart that is full of what is not right, a heart that is not beating after uh, God's good for his uh, people, and for his creation. And the heart is the same place where good life-giving speech comes from. So look at Proverbs 16, 23 and 24. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. It's the same thing that Jesus said. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Matthew 12, this is what he's saying there. This is Matthew 12, 34 to 37, picking up halfway through 34. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So the issue with the words that we use and how we use them is rooted in the heart. That's really what this all comes down to. The words we use are simply showing what is already inside of us. And of course, it's not just with speech. This is really with all of God's wisdom. If we find ourselves acting in ways that are contrary to God's goodness, we have to see, well, where is that coming from? And the root issue is that we have sinful hearts. 
But the good news then is that what we need is not just a band-aid. We need a heart transplant. There's something more fundamental that has to go on here if we're going to actually live by God's wisdom. And incredibly, this is exactly what God says he's going to do. So we see a promise to the people of Israel spoken through the prophet Ezekiel. A great promise of hope to a scattered people. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. God says to them, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. See, this is an incredible promise because it gets at exactly what you and I need if we're going to live a life that's genuine, that's abundant, that's full of God's good for us. If we are to be God's people, faithfully living as a blessing to others, he has to do a work in our hearts first. See, the diagnosis for your words that destroy others and that cut them down is not just a better filter. It's not just to try to put a better filter on so that that fewer bad words come out of your mouth. That's just putting a Band-Aid that's on a surface scratch. This is much deeper than that. You don't need a little Band-Aid on a surface scratch. You don't need a filter change. You need a heart that's different. You need a full heart transplant. And God says that's exactly what he's going to do for his people. He's going to remove their stone heart that does not love him. And they're going to, he's going to put a new heart within them, a heart that works properly because it's empowered by his spirit. It's a heart that loves him above everything else and therefore can love others well as he has instructed us to. A heart that worships God for all of his beauty and for all of his splendor and for all of his worth. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine living with a heart that no longer rebels against God? A heart that no longer is controlled by your own sinful, selfish desires? I think this is so life-giving. This is so life-affirming. This is what we're meant for. And that's what begins to happen when God's Spirit lives in you. See, before God works in your heart, you're stuck. Whatever good you might want to do, you're going to find yourself struggling against it time after time after time because you don't have the resources in your sinful heart to be able to do this apart from God's power. You can't do this. The best you can do is hope for good things and find yourself struggling and struggling and struggling. Paul says the same thing in Romans 7. He's saying, what a wretched man I am because I want to do what's good. I want to do what's right. I want to obey God, but I can't do it. But then he goes on to show the source of hope. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what that means, then he goes on to say in Romans 8, what that means is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is a fantastic passage. We've got to read through this. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by your sinful heart that you needed to transplant from, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. That's us before this heart transplant. You, however, he goes on in verse 9, you, however, speaking to Christians specifically, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed God's Spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life also to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is the incredible truth of the gospel, that that God has actually done this heart surgery. He is sending his Spirit to work in our hearts to make us new people. Not just giving us a little filter here and there. Not just giving a couple of principles for life. He's giving us a heart transformation. He's getting at the very root of the issue. We use words that destroy others. We use words that hurt others because of the sinfulness that is in our hearts. He's saying there is a solution here. A real solution. A true solution that gets right to the root of the matter. You need God's Spirit living in you. And that's what God does the power of his Holy Spirit. The gospel is the good news that God has done that for those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ have God's Spirit living in them. They've been transformed from the inside. I mean, that's the solution to this. For those of us who are Christians, we have God's Spirit in us, and that means that the promises of Ezekiel 36 are coming true. We have this new heart. And what this means is that, that we then have new words, If words come from the overflow of the heart, then we, as those who have God's Spirit in us, will use different kind of words than those around us. We will use words that are true, that are full of grace, that are full of life and blessing. And this is the kind of community that I want to live in. People who who tell the truth, who offer grace to one another, who speak words of life. And what a contrast to a culture of of death, to a culture where where destruction and, and cutting others down is the norm. Christians are to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light to the world. It's, it's a difference that should be so readily apparent in the way we use our words. And this is how we become a blessing to the world. We bless others by using the words that God has given us, by proclaiming the good news of Jesus where, where it needs to be heard, to proclaim words of hope where there's despair, words of life where there's death, words of light into darkness. We don't have to to hide the truth anymore. We don't have to tell lies because we're afraid or we're ashamed or anything else. Jesus has already shined his light on all of those dark areas of our lives. There's nothing to hide anymore. And we have been forgiven. Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of the mess of our lives, all the terrible things that we've said to other people, everything wrong we've ever done, there's no shame in that. There's no hiding in that anymore. The gospel frees us from that so we can actually live an open, honest life. Because when we show others what God has saved us from, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Because it is his work in me, a sinful person, for his glory. It's all what he has done. It's never what we're able to accomplish on our own. May God give us words of life to give to those around us. 
Words are so incredibly powerful. May we be a people who give words that that bless others, that, that point them to the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ so that they too may see that this is good news and they may worship him alongside of us for his glory now and forever. Please pray with me. Our holy and gracious Father, you are a good God who has chosen for yourself a sinful people. We thank you. I think of words that I have said that I cannot take back, that have hurt others, that have, that have brought more pain and more darkness and more death into the world. God, have mercy. I thank you for the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, that that's not the end, that, that you can cover that pain for the other person, that you can forgive even my sinful heart. And God, for those who are right on the edge between despair and hope, would you speak again? of the hope of Jesus Christ into their hearts. All of us have been hurt by the words of others. All of us need your healing. Speak to us again of the healing and the wholeness that are found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And then send us as your healed, restored people out into the world to speak words of life, that more and more people would come to put their trust in Jesus and to glorify you with their hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ, through whom we found life. Amen.